Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. The story you're about to hear is a true birth story. It's the real deal. And it may not be appropriate for sensitive ears. On today's episode... There's this moment that I learned about in doula training called the return. And it's pretty much every birthing person. If you pay attention to them, the exact moment that their baby comes out, they are not instantly looking at their baby first thing. So this person is, they're either looking outward at other people to like acknowledge the big thing that they did, or they're like looking up at the sky to like God or the world or whatever it is that they believe in. Like you see them looking elsewhere, they have to return to themselves. So they've just done this incredibly intense, powerful thing and they cannot physically connect with their baby until they're able to come back to self and celebrate what they just did. Hello, welcome back to The Birth Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Williams. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome, welcome. This episode is part two of my conversation with Alexis Edwards. So if you haven't listened to part one, I want you to stop, stop, stop right now. Go back one episode, just the one right before this one, and listen to that one first. And then after, just come on back and pick up where you left off. Okay? Bye-bye. But for the rest of you, let's just do a quick recap real quick, shall we? Last week, we met Alexis, a licensed clinical social worker, doula, and specialist in working with people who have a history of trauma, and especially in working with birthing people who have endured past sexual trauma. Alexis revealed to us that she herself is a survivor of sexual assault, and that the experience of pregnancy, birth, and motherhood cracked her wide open and brought past traumas to the surface that she thought she had dealt with already. Alexis shared with us her first two children's birth stories and admitted that she herself found it very difficult to advocate for her own unique needs as a trauma survivor. She often did not feel safe or properly taken care of during her prenatal and birth experience. She also was shocked to discover that care providers consistently were not taking her needs seriously, and this fueled a passion within Alexis to change the system to speak out about the crucial need for attentive care and safe birthing spaces that survivors of trauma require. So she's now working to help birthing people learn to advocate for themselves during pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, but also she's going directly to the source and educating care providers directly with her trauma-informed care curriculum. And in this episode, Alexis shares her final and recent birth story, as well as some sage tokens of advice for any one of you who might be starting out on a similar journey right now. So let's jump right back in where we left off. Here is the conclusion to my chat with Alexis Edwards. So you spent all this time unpacking and healing and learning and understanding. And then tell me about the third and what that conception and pregnancy was like and how you wanted to change things through that experience. Yeah. So the third pregnancy took a lot longer to happen, which was unexpected. It took a full year before I got pregnant. Okay. I think I had a lot of feelings with that. Like it it happened so quickly the first two times that wasn't what I had lived before. And I had done like all this work to like feel ready for it to happen again. And then for it not to happen was just kind of like, what? Mm. So I got like some initial fertility testing done and they suspected that I could have PCOS, but they weren't really sure. Hold on a second. What is PCOS? Polycystic ovary syndrome. That's what it is. Polycystic ovary syndrome is a condition that affects about 1 in 10 women of childbearing age and can impair fertility. Its primary feature is multiple cysts on the ovaries, and that can make getting pregnant difficult. But the good news is that often women with PCOS can get pregnant and are good candidates for those fertility treatments. 
I never really followed through with anything additional other than that initial testing. And it eventually happened a full year in. And I think by the time it did happen, we had started to have conversations about, well, maybe we just are going to have two kids. Maybe we don't want to do this. And then it happened. (laughs) And I think we both were like kind of shocked. Like we had just kind of gotten in this mindset of maybe this wasn't what we were supposed to do. Right. So that was a little scary. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah, No kidding. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So initially I was definitely very sick that first trimester, which was hard. I have a couple of friends that have twins and I remember asking them, I was like, Mm. were you sicker with twins than you were with just one? Cause they also have had a single Uh and they were like, yes, I was sicker. And I was like, well, I think I'm having twins because I'm so sick. So I was just like, I'm so (laughs) sick, but it wasn't twins. It was just one. Were you sick beyond the first trimester or was it mostly just like the first trimester was especially hard? It was mostly the first trimester. I think I didn't like right at 12 weeks feel relief, but a few weeks into the second trimester, I had my appetite back and that felt more normal. So thankfully it was not the entire pregnancy. I did have other issues in the pregnancy. I, um, at 20 weeks, we were at my parents in Louisiana and I had, I got a UTI that then, um, like my bladder spasms, like I couldn't pee. Oh no. Yeah. Like I basically my, I was in so much pain cause my bladder was full and I couldn't empty it. Mm. Um, and we had to go to the hospital and it was just, yeah, it was this whole ordeal. That was strange. And then I also had like a fainting spell and had to go, I had to go to the hospital a few times in the third pregnancy. So I fainted and like hit my head and had to go to the hospital then. Like it was kind of a wild pregnancy in that regard of like, what is happening? Like, why are all these things going wrong? And then COVID happened. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So tell me what was your birth plan before COVID? And then did COVID change that? Let's talk about that. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, I guess that is important to the story. I, I actually, I like agonized about where and with who to birth with the third time around. Yeah. So since I'm a birth professional here, so since I had been dueling here and worked with different care providers and worked at different birth spaces, I basically was like, nobody's good enough. Like I was totally, <laughs> I was totally a snob and was just like, I haven't like attended a birth as a doula where I've like, observed someone being truly trauma informed and like truly listening and and providing evidence-based care and that sucked and I Mm. at the time I wasn't sure if I was comfortable with a home birth Mm. so I just felt like I didn't have any options and it took me a while to find and settle with a care provider and I ended up settling with a practice that is similar to what you said where it's OBGYNs and midwives combined mm-hmm. and they have you can either choose to birth in the hospital or the birth center and what I liked about that was that their birth center is literally across the street from the hospital so yeah if I had to transfer it was an easy transfer and they definitely they would go with you because they're all a part of the same practice like right. all of that would be, be consistent that sounds awesome Yeah, it did sound awesome. Um, (laughs) But it ended up being a terrible experience. They had marked me as advanced maternal age. So I'm I'm 36. Oh, okay. So I'm like, I'm barely advanced maternal age. I mean, in Austin, Texas, that might be sound old. But in LA, I live in Los Angeles. That's like, uh, kind of, you know, it feels like young around here. (laughs) A lot of people get pregnant way late here. That's so so funny. They had all these like different interventions, like even Mm. just prenatally that like they wanted an ultrasound at every checkup and ultrasounds are actually very triggering for me as well. Okay. Internal and external, both? Uh, Both. Okay. The external as well. So I I have a thing with my belly button Mm. and I don't like it to be touched and it's related to my sexual assault Mm. and... I mean, if you've ever had an external ultrasound, like they're very near and often on top of your belly button. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, So of course the internal exam is similar to a cervical check in that way that I didn't like those, but the external ones were also awful. Hmm. So I kept trying to advocate for myself, like explain, like, this is my story. This is my history. 
I need, like, we need to figure something out. And they essentially were like using the birth center as like a compliance reward. So, you know, Mm. it, it was like, well, sure, we don't have to do an ultrasound every week, but if you don't agree to do this, then you can't birth at the birth center. You have to birth at the hospital. Okay. And so that was really disheartening um, and didn't feel good. And so I was kind of like already on the cusp of like, this isn't working. I need to figure something else out. But then my last appointment with them, I had to get an ultrasound and that ultrasound was very, very traumatic. The Uh, sonographer, I would tell them every time I don't like my belly button being touched, like, please try to avoid it if you can. And if you're going to go over my belly button, can you let me know before you do? Like, I would say this to whoever the tech was each time that I had to get one done. And this tech looked at me like I was insane. Mm -hmm. And then she squirted the, the, what's that stuff called? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) The gel. Yeah. The gel. She squirted it directly into my belly button. Oh, the opposite of what you just asked for. Yeah. And, and I'm pretty sure that I like how, like my husband was there, but our kids happened to be at that appointment. So he was very distracted. Uh. And I kept looking like in that moment, I didn't have words. Like, so this was happening and I felt like very frozen. Mm. Like I literally in my brain was like, what the fuck? but I could not verbalize it at all. And I kept looking at him and like trying to make eye contact with him. Like, please, please, like this is excruciating. I can't tell her to stop. And I basically just laid there. I was frozen and just laid there and went through this sonogram completely not present and out of my body. And it was terrible. Yeah. And so after that experience, I, when we left, I told my husband, I can't stay here. Like we have to figure something else out. So we switched to a home birth midwife. I ended up talking to my doula and my husband and just kind of like talking again through my options. And I found two midwives that I had interviewed that I really liked. So we made that switch pre-COVID. So the world didn't really shut down until like two weeks after we had switched to this home birth midwife. Mm. So it was kind of like I kind of felt like it was like my daughter's birth was kind of happening again, where like all this bad luck was surfacing of like, yeah, I tried to find the right practice. I thought I found the right fit. It wasn't the right fit. We had to switch care providers. I finally find this midwife that I'm really connected to. I felt like she, I never felt as seen and heard about my trauma history as I had with this midwife that Mm. I met with and that we switched to. Like she was the first person that I felt like, really connected with me on that. Mm. And then COVID happened and it was like another bad luck, like, okay, now COVID's here and like everybody's changing, you know, so the things that I loved about now being able to have my baby at home was like everything happened at home. Like my, she came to us for our prenatals. We had hour and a half appointments. Mm. She really listened. And like, we had like super intense, full conversations about what my needs are and how she could best support me. And all of that just felt really beautiful. And then COVID happened and we kind of had to change that, you know, just for safety. She was limiting how many prenatals she was doing and we had to like do them outside in the grass and Mm. it just, you know, everything kind of changed again. And it was just like, why can't I ever catch a fucking break? Like, (laughs) Again, I've worked so fucking hard to try to get this experience that on the most basic level just equals safety. Right. All I want is like to feel fucking safe and and now nothing is safe. Like what the fuck? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, seriously. At what point in your pregnancy were you when you started seeing her? Like how far along were you at this point? Was it getting near to the due date? Yeah, I think I was about 28 weeks. So, you know, more than halfway through the pregnancy. Okay. But we did do some, there was some virtual and then some in person. So like basically each appointment, she would like FaceTime us for like the talking part. And then she would, we would like meet in my backyard for the physical part. Right. And she would do what, like measure your fundal height and because, you know, they just do hands on listen to the heartbeat, that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, those are the things that she would do. Um, And so that part was really quick, like 10 minutes. Um, Gotcha. 
How are you feeling about switching to a home birth after having two epidural experiences? Because like, it's something I've thought about, you know, like, I wonder what where my mindset would be. You know, like, what was that like for you as you were preparing for that mentally and emotionally? Yeah, I, it was a journey. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I definitely like the whole rest of my pregnancy, I would say was me kind of having, because I definitely, there was a time where I was like, maybe I need, maybe I have to have an epidural. Like maybe the only way my body can relax is with an epidural. So how am I going to be able to do this? So we actually had a lot of conversations about how home is really different from a hospital environment. Mm -hmm. And that like, I automatically feel safe because I'm in my own space. Mm -hmm. And just even like small things, like I remember there was one point where I was in the bat in my bathroom and the doula was like, it's really bright in here. Like you have the fluorescent light on let me put some candles in here. And I was like, no, no, like we won't be able to see. Mm. And I was so like concerned. I was like, oh, I don't need that. And maybe that's contributing to me feeling relaxed right now is because of these bright lights. Right. So it was definitely a journey in that way of like in the pregnancy, like I took this class called birthing from within, which was really powerful. And essentially like just kind of had to redo all of that work that I had done in those five years of like, yes, I am strong. I am powerful. I have what I need. My body has done this and it will do it again. And Mm -hmm. I'm safe. Like I'm safe and I have what I need to do the thing. So Mm -hmm. I did a lot of journaling. I did a lot of just like, you know, processing internally about that. I crafted these like birth affirmations Mm. and I had, I literally, I also am a little strange and I have a love affair with Frida Kahlo. She's awesome. Yeah. I love her. She's a source of strength for me. So like, I literally like my house during pregnancy was like full of Frida Kahlo pictures, full of these birth affirmations. Mm. And I was just like preparing the space for you can do the thing. Like you've already done the thing twice. And, mm. and you can do the thing here just like you did there. Yeah. So that that's what I did. That's awesome. I love that you made it such a personal, I mean, it is a personal space, but you made it even more personal. And I think that that's like a great lesson for, to me, you know, if I ever choose to have another baby, I, I think that I'll take that with me as like, even if I give birth in a hospital to make sure I bring with me maybe some empowering tools, because I didn't feel like I could bring, you know, affirmations to hang up or can't like, sometimes you can't bring a candle, but you can bring an LED candle and you can turn off the light in the hospital. Maybe not when you're actually pushing, but like, otherwise you can labor, you do have the choice to do that. But like, it would not have occurred to me, like, you know, the, I love the Frida Kahlo thing. Cause that's like, (laughs) you know, it's almost like, okay, girl, you went through some shit. I can do it too. (laughs) It's almost like, you know, kind of a cool idea. I love that. That's great. Yeah. So then with the actual third birth, Mm-hmm. Tell me how it went. What? How did you know you were in labor? And you know what? What went down with that? Can you can you share? Yeah. Um, so I had like a mucus plug moment. I woke up early that morning and lots of mucus, a little bit of like bloody show was mm-hmm. happening. And I was like, oh, okay, so this might be the day. Uh, he was early. He was my first baby that was early. So I went mm. forty one weeks with the first two, I was 41 weeks each time. And, uh, he was born at 39 weeks. So it was also a little unexpected. Like I was just like, wait, why is this bloody show and mucus plug here? Cause we still have like two more weeks to go. Uh Um, I was definitely in a little bit of denial when it started. And I like internally, like I didn't necessarily tell my husband right away, And I just kind of like internally was like, no, this isn't, it's not really happening. Like this, this can't be the thing. Like this can't be the real deal. (laughs) But contractions came and very similar to previously, it was like a slow burn. They started out, you know, further apart, less intense, and then they moved into a much more intense, consistent pattern. Mm -hmm. And at that point, uh, my doula came over, the midwife came over and that part was pretty lovely. Like, you know, because we had had these conversations 
uh, prenatally, like she didn't want to check me when she got there. Like there was no conversation about a check. Right. But your water hadn't broken, right? Just the mucus plug came out? Just some mucus plug at that point. Yeah. And uh, they were just kind of letting me do my thing. So I was just doing the thing. I had a playlist. My kids were awake initially and like my husband had to put them to bed and you know, there were a few really cute moments with them. So it was also nice to like have them there, but then they got to go to bed and we got to have our own space. Like it, you know, mm-hmm. all of that piece of it was very beautiful. And, uh, I was happy about that. Yeah. And so we had planned on having a birth tub and I kept asking like, when can I get in the birth tub? When can I get in the birth tub? And I think my midwife wanted to be sure that I was far enough along before I got into the tub, because sometimes when you get into water, it can slow things down, Hmm. but that wasn't necessarily communicated. So like in my mind, I was like, why can't I get in the fucking tub? Like I want to be in the tub. Right. Hey, it's me, Christy. I just want to let you know, producing, editing, and hosting this podcast has truly brought me so much joy over the past year. And you know what else brings me a lot of joy? Your ratings and reviews. Every time I get one, it's like Christmas morning times 10 million. So thank you so much for taking the time to send me some love in that way. It's really the best way to send support to me if you are someone who enjoys all this free content I'm making for you. And if you want even more free content and resources, make sure to visit birthshow.com where you'll see tons of recommended products and books and videos and tips and tricks that might help you on your own journey as you prepare to give birth and enter parenthood. Birthshow.com. The link is right in the show notes. Easy to find. Birthshow.com. And now back to the show. Eventually, I I asked to be checked. We just kind of had this conversation. I was like, you know, how do I know how I'm progressing if we don't do this check? And like, I really want to get in the tub. And I feel like things are moving along and like, we need to do this. So uh, she offered to check me in that moment. And when she checked me, I was seven centimeters. <gasps> oh, my yeah. gosh. How were you coping yeah. with the pain at that point? I was doing pretty, I was doing pretty well. That's awesome. Yeah. I think I was rocking it. And I, I just started sobbing. Like I had never gotten to seven centimeters on my own. Yeah. So I just was hysterical of like, I can't believe this happened. I'm seven centimeters. And then right after she checked me, I went to the bathroom and my water broke. Okay. And it was, Again, kind of, you know, like a bit, I heard a pop and there was a big gush everywhere. And that was like affirmation. Like I felt like that was affirmation of like, you're, you're doing it. Mm -hmm. Everything that you've planned for, despite all the obstacles, like it's still happening. You're seven centimeters. And so then they let me get in the tub and that was like bliss. I, oh, good. Yeah. It was so much easier to manage the contractions in the water. I just, it definitely was like a type of pain relief. Like it just, I felt so much lighter when I was in there and it okay. felt easier to move through the contractions. How warm is that water? Cause I, I mean, I don't have any reference for a tub birth. Like how warm do they keep the water for you or, or is the temperature kind of cold or? Uh, I'm pretty sure they put in like boiling water Oh, okay. and then, and then they like give time for it to cool before you get in. But that way it's like hot when you get in and like okay. stays warm. Okay. Um, it was like the perfect temperature. Like when oh, I got good. in, it was amazing. Like the warmth was amazing. I just felt very held physically in the tub. I felt held and the warmth and like everyone was around me and they had like these twinkling lights like inside the tub. Like it looked like Christmas. That's fun. That's so celebratory. I like that. Yeah, it was very... But unfortunately, that that was like the end of a beautiful home birth. Okay. Because when I got in the tub, things slowed down and my contractions like pretty much they were very spaced out. Like they weren't happening very frequently. And it was another long haul from there. Like we tried to do all these tricks again. We were doing all these things to try to get contractions going again. And 
they were giving me herbs that taste terrible. Um, we didn't use the breast pump, but we did a bunch of different positions. And then my doula also, like there's a lot of funky positions you can do to try to put baby in an optimal position that then like gets them engaged on your cervix so that things can open more. And so mm-hmm. that's what they think was happening, that he was asynclitic, which means his head was kind of like uh, just slightly kind of turned and not like head on into my cervix. Gotcha. Yeah. And so that was preventing him from like ascending and keeping the process moving. And so, um, you know, they just did a bunch of funky positions to try to move things in the pelvis. And she also used a rebozo to do like some belly sifting and belly Mm -hmm. lifts, lots of doula tricks to just try to get him in a better position it just didn't happen. And after a while, like we did that for a while, it felt like forever. Did the contractions sort of just stop or was it just that you just weren't dilating any further? It was a combination. I mean, we didn't okay. know yet. They weren't checking me again. So we didn't know yeah. that my cervix wasn't doing anything, gotcha. but the contractions just like drastically slowed down and they weren't like as effective. So right, right. I think that my midwife knew I was tired. I was probably mm-hmm. a little dehydrated, like just a combination of all of that. It, it just slowed down. Yeah. Yeah. And so they were trying to do all those things to get me back into a consistent pattern and it wasn't really working very well. So we actually tried to push. So they kept asking me like, are you pushy? Are you pushy? And I was like, I don't know what that means. I've never done this before. I don't know if I'm pushy. Like it feels like I should know if I'm pushy. Like I've had an epidural both times before, you know? So, right. But with your epidural, did you still feel pressure? Like, you know, there's a feeling of like needing to poop kind of right. So yeah, I felt, I felt pressure, but it didn't like feel intense. Like the first two times I definitely felt pressure, like something's happening, Yeah, but I didn't like, I don't know the way that they were describing it to me. Like, do you feel like you really need to push right now. I was like, no, I don't think I do, but maybe I don't know. Like I've never done this before, you know? So they had me do some practice pushes, but like nothing was really happening. So at that point she offered to check me again. Cause like, Mm. here we are, we've tried all the things we, we need a little bit more information. Yeah. And so that check was awful. Mm. My cervix was posterior. She was having trouble like knowing what she was feeling. So Mm -hmm. she was like, I think you might still be a seven. Um, but I'm not sure. So I want the, cause any home birth, there's always two midwives. So the, like, um, the assistant midwife, she was Mm -hmm. like, I want her to check to see if she feels something different because I'm just not sure what I'm feeling. Like either your cervix is swollen or it hasn't progressed, or I'm just not feeling correctly because it's so posterior. And so I had to have like another check right after that from the other midwife and it was equally excruciating. And she decided and discovered that I was actually only five centimeters. Okay. Um, Oh, that must've felt really, I'm sorry. I'm cutting in, but I'm like with you, like emotionally, like, Oh no. (laughs) So she just, she discovered you're five centimeters and then, and what were you going to say? Oh, it was devastating. Like, I just was like, how, like, how is that possible? Like, how can I be seven centimeters and then I'm five? Like, how is that physically possible? I don't understand. Yeah. And so she explained to me later postpartum that like, essentially that, you know, if the head isn't fully engaged on the cervix, like when she checked me the first time, like he could have been more engaged and and she was, it was dilated more, like there was more opening, but then like when he moved into that funky position, it kind of closed back up a little, um, because Mm -hmm. he wasn't fully engaged in pushing on the cervix. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so who knows if that's why, but yeah, I was devastated and it, it just kind of put everything to a halt. Like I just, I, I felt, I honestly, like it, it was grief that I was feeling like I was just so fucking sad. Like I was just like, here I am. This is definitely my final pregnancy and birth. Like I'm not doing this again. Again, I've worked so hard to get here and try to have this specific experience and, and it's still not working. I've just lost the opportunity to have what I really wanted. Like I just, this is it. 
Um, so I just felt very, very sad. Um, yeah, defeated. Oh. Yeah. She told me my options. Like I didn't have to go to the hospital. Like she was like, we can keep going. We're here with you. Like we'll keep trying all the things and do whatever we can to get things moving. But I was just so exhausted and defeated and depleted that I said I wanted to transfer to the hospital. Um, But it was your choice. So that's good. It was my choice. Yeah, it was my choice. And how is baby doing? Baby was fine. He was fine when we got there. um, And they did confirm they wanted to check me when we got there. And they confirmed Mm. that I was five centimeters. (laughs) Okay. All right. How did you feel, though, that they treated you at the hospital? Well, we went to the hospital that has OBGYNs and midwives. And so the midwife that was on call was one of the midwives that I didn't have a great experience with at that OBGYN practice that I left. (laughs) Oh, no, girl. Yeah. So she was the midwife on call. So that was interesting, but it was fine. Um, But then I was there so long, like they started me on Pitocin, but he, the baby wasn't tolerating it very well. So Mm. they kept having to like turn it down and turn it up and like flip me over um, and do all these different things because his heart rate kept decelling. Mm. It was kind of dramatic. Like it just was like one thing after the next. And then that midwife was off call and she left. And then the only person on call was a male OB-GYN. And so he's who delivered my baby. But basically we spent a good few hours at the hospital, like with this whole, we're trying to find the right amount of Pitocin that your baby can tolerate. Mm -hmm. And they ended up checking me again. And I eventually got to a nine Okay. with the help of the Pitocin. But I like stayed there for a long time. Like I was stuck at a nine for a while. And so he had a pretty bad D cell. And so the nurse came in and she basically was like, I need to do another check. I think that maybe like you have a cervical lip or your cervix is becoming swollen, but like you have to have your baby right now, or we're going to have to have a cesarean. So I, what I want to do is go in and like manually open the cervix the rest of the way. Uh, at this point, I'm sorry, you probably said this, but did you say you had gotten an epidural or were you still? Oh, yes. No. Okay. I okay. Got... Good. Okay. That was oh. the first thing I did when we got there. Was oh, okay. Epidural. Okay. Because I had a midwife manually stretch me and it was, ooh, I wish I had had an epidural. <laughs> no, I'm very glad I had the epidural. Oh, um, okay. Okay. So, okay. Okay. So she, um, but she asked your consent, which is good. Right. It yes. sounds like. Yes. Okay. Yes. They, they definitely treated us, the staff there. It was a very different experience. We were treated very well. And yes, this nurse was fine. Good. And everyone got my consent. So yes, that was a lot better. Great. Uh, but that's what she did. So she moved the rest of my cervix out of the way and was basically like, okay, we have, you have to push this baby out like right now. Like it was super intense. And so I pushed like three times and he came out. Oh my uh, God. Yeah, I didn't think yeah. this was going to happen so quick. Oh, that's so great. Oh my yes. gosh. Yeah. So that was different. And that, you know, so I very quickly they said, do the thing. And I was like, okay, I'm getting him out. I don't want a cesarean. And so he came out quickly. Uh-huh. And yeah, it was, uh, he actually struggled a little bit. He had to get fluid sucked out with the tube. Um, mm-hmm. and his oxygen, his oxygen levels weren't where they needed to be. So that was a little frightening. So I didn't get to hold him like right away, but after like 20 minutes, they brought him to chest and I got to latch him for his initial feed and postpartum was hugely different this time around. Tell me why I want to know why, what helped. Yeah. Um, well, it was, well, I guess I should say it was hugely different while also being incredibly challenging with COVID. Um, so of course this, like part of that five years of me waiting to have another baby was also me telling my husband, like, you have to take a minimum of two to three weeks off. We have to pay postpartum doulas for a good two to three weeks. Mm. We have to have like family come at certain intervals, like, we, we have to pay for, uh, a maid, like we have to pay for, uh, grocery delivery. And like, basically I'm going to need therapy. Like this is going to cost a lot of money to have this third child. Cause we're going to have to pay for, and like really firmly plan what the support is going to look like for me to be able to do it. Right. 
but how great that you were so clear on exactly the help that you needed in order to make it okay for you. Of course, the world's kind of fell apart. So we'll get to that yeah. now. But oh my gosh, yeah, that's good that you so communicated the- that so clearly because like, that's yes. so key. Oh my gosh. Yes. So the world fell apart. And that definitely, there was a lot of grief with that of like, mm. oh my God, like, I need these things, but like, how are we going to do these things safely? Like, how, how is this possible with everything that's going on? And it wasn't exactly what we planned, but like, ultimately we had to weigh the risks and benefits of like the benefits to my mental health of still having postpartum doula come Mm -hmm. like exponentially outweighed any risk of COVID for our family. Mm -hmm. Um, we had like six overnights. I don't know, like an overnight doula is a dream. They, they literally come and their whole goal is for you to sleep. So, you know, I would nurse, but then they would take the baby out of the room. So I'm not hearing every like move and squirm and sound. Mm. And I would like sleep hard for four hours and they would bring baby back to feed. So it really allowed us to like optimize sleep. That's awesome. Huge. Yeah. yeah, it was huge. And then just even during the daytime, like I had, you know, my, my mother-in-law came for a little bit and she was able to help with the older kids. And whenever a postpartum doula would come during the day, like she was focused on me, like, how are we making sure that you stay hydrated? Let's prep some meals for you that are easy for you to feed yourself right now. Let's process your birth. Like I had, you know, a level of emotional support with that doula being there and just like Mm -hmm. helping me feel confident in learning this, this third baby and feeling good about what I was doing. Mm -hmm. That was huge. Like all of that, you know, even though there was some risk there of like having this person in our home during COVID times, it, it, it was necessary just with, you know, everything I had been through previously. Right. It sounds like the gamble really paid off. That's great that you had that support. I mean, this postpartum doula thing sounds like uh, the way to go. Yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. I highly recommend it. I mean, it's certainly an investment, mm-hmm. which can be like that. There's some sticker shock with that, but I mean, it really impacts whether you have a positive or negative experience in my opinion, like it, it really mm-hmm. can make a difference, especially if you don't have that support elsewhere. Like if you don't have family close by, if you don't have a good friend network, like it can be really helpful in those circumstances too. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, with the third birth, did you have a similar tear? I'm sorry. I just, I got I it. Did. I just got to know these things. You did? Okay. I did. I have the same tear again. Like, it's just like. It's just where, it's just where it goes. I, you know, yeah. I mean, they say it's more likely, I guess, if you tear once, you tear on the same spot. But I'm, yeah. I'm just curious because as someone who's trying to process, like maybe doing this again. <laughs> Like, how is it going to go the next time? But the good news is you're resilient. You, you heal. Yeah. And there's, uh, padsicles, which are like a dream. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) I mean, those are essential, essential (laughs) for sure. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on a second. Maybe some of you are saying, what is a padsicle? Why do I need that? Well, let me tell you. Let's take a real short break for a quick tip with Christy. You ready? Quick tip. You know, there are many things that a first-time mom is surprised about. Things that no one really actually tells you. Things like mucus plugs and catheters and hemorrhoids, delivering the placenta, adult diapers, that really painful first bowel movement. But one of the things that we do usually expect is that pushing a baby out of our vagina is probably going to hurt. And it's probably going to take some time to recover from that. But If you've never gone through the birth process before, it's really hard to imagine exactly how it will feel to have a bruised and swollen vagina. You really can't imagine what it's going to be like to recover from a vaginal tear or an episiotomy if you've never experienced that before. And that's why I'm here to help guide your precious life-giving lady parts on their heroic recovery journey. Oh, honey you're going to be okay. At least I hope I can help ease the pain a tiny bit. The first thing you need to know is that it doesn't matter if you tear or not. Mm -mm. You're going to be sore down there. A padsicle, which if you haven't figured this out by now, is just a blending of the words pad and popsicle. 
It's going to become your best friend when dealing with postpartum pain. So what is it? What's this patsicle? Hmm? Basically, it's a sanitary napkin that you soak with all kinds of soothing remedies, and then you stick it in the freezer so later you can place it inside your underwear or your adult diaper. Hey, there's no shame here. Sometimes it's easier just to put a diaper on than deal with the whole underwear or mesh underwear thing. But either way, you stick that padsicle in there to relieve the pain and accelerate the healing process after a vaginal delivery. They're super easy to make, by the way, so easy. I recommend making a batch ahead of time in your third trimester so you can just have them ready to go at a moment's notice. Just add it to that giant list of things that you're doing during the nesting phase anyway, (laughs) so you could just set it and forget it. But if you do forget to make them ahead of time, no worries. They're easy to make. They only take about two hours to freeze, so make them whenever you need them to. So how do you make a patsicle? You're going to need to buy overnight sanitary napkins or pads. Honey, get the big big, long ones. Don't kid yourself. Get the biggest ones you can find. That's what you're going to need. You'll also need to buy witch hazel, unscented aloe vera gel, lavender essential oil, aluminum foil, and freezer bags. Gather all those supplies together, and then here's what you do. Just lay out a generous-sized piece of aluminum foil on the countertop or table. Just make sure it's big enough to wrap the pad in. Unwrap that sanitary napkin, lay it down on top of the aluminum foil, and the back of the napkin is going to stick to the foil. So remove the adhesive paper tabs from the pad just to fully open it. Squeeze that aloe vera gel all over that pad, and then take a clean finger and rub that aloe vera gel all over the pad. Then you're going to pour or spray witch hazel all over that pad. Make sure that witch hazel is alcohol-free. Witch hazel can reduce swelling and pain and bruising. It relieves itching. It relieves inflammation. It relieves pain from hemorrhoids. Pro tip though, don't overdo it. Don't oversaturate the pad because then the pad won't absorb that postpartum bleeding. So just, you know, be generous, but don't make it really, really soaked. Next, and this is optional, but you can add some drops of lavender essential oil. Lavender is anti-inflammatory, and it's also very calming. It smells good. It's nice for stress and anxiety, which, you know, happens after you have a baby. And then after you put on the aloe vera, witch hazel, lavender, just fold that aluminum foil over the pad, wrap it up, make a big batch of these. I recommend making at least 10 padsicles and putting them in a freezer bag and just sticking them in the freezer next to all those freezer meals that you're making for postpartum. Just stock up so you have enough supply on hand after giving birth. Look, I'm not ashamed to say I have a very vivid memory from about a day after I came home from the hospital in which I was sitting on the toilet in the bathroom and I yelled across the house, asking my husband to please bring me a padsicle from the freezer. These things are so practical. They're so soothing. I was super happy. I had a bunch of them ready to go. And in addition to padsicles, by the way, I really recommend buying a peri bottle. The Frida peri bottle is the best because it's curved up and it really hits the right places. This is just a bottle that you fill with warm water. You squeeze it as you're urinating or having a bowel movement to relieve any sort of pain and also use it to clean yourself after you urinate or have a bowel movement because honey, toilet paper is not your friend in the first couple days after you give birth. You don't want to put toilet paper anywhere near you, especially if you have stitches. Uh Uh-uh, get that thing out of here. So make sure you buy this peri bottle. The link is in the show notes for the peri bottle. Also, Dermaplast is a spray that's a numbing spray. Oh my gosh, I use like three bottles of this stuff. It is transformative. It's so good. Look, this is TMI, but hey, this whole show is TMI. My show is TMI. The more TMI, the better. Let me tell you too much information. My little bathroom routine was this. I went to the bathroom. I filled up my peri bottle at the sink with warm water. I sprayed that water on my very sore tender bits as I went to the bathroom and then washed myself with the peri bottle afterwards also. Let myself air dry for a moment. Again, leave the toilet paper out of it. Don't touch it. And then after a moment, I stood up, blasted the area with that very soothing numbing spray Dermaplast. Then I put a fresh padsicle in my mesh underwear and I went back to feeding my baby. Easy peasy. 
Now, if you want a visual on how to make padsicles, I added a video on the website showing you how to do it step-by-step. Go to birthshow.com backslash postpartum, birthshow.com backslash postpartum. Also, make sure you read the show notes for easy links to all the supplies you'll need to make these padsicles. Go make these padsicles. Trust me, you'll be glad you did. Quick tip. You're still in postpartum because your your baby's three months, right? Yeah, yeah. The newest one. So, how are you doing now? Honestly, I, I'm I'm not the greatest. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like that um, honesty. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because virtual school started for my older kids, and then oh. people love to support you in like those first six weeks postpartum. Yeah. We had all these meals delivered. We had the postpartum doula support we paid for. We had people checking in on us. And pretty much after that six week mark, like you kind of get forgotten and people like forget that you're still postpartum. (laughs) Right. I felt like for sure it got like it started feeling really hard for me around three, four months. Like for sure. Like that's when it hit. It was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Everyone just like thinks you're okay now. Like, oh, you're good. But no, like I would love someone to deliver a meal right now. <laughs> like mm. that would be incredibly helpful. Yeah. And like my husband's back at work. It's just me right now. Like it's me mm. having to do virtual school for two big kids and taking care of this baby, which thank goodness he's another chill sleeping. He's sleeping through the night right now. So, Oh my um, gosh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I don't, oh, I actually want to like take that back and pretend like I didn't say that. Cause then maybe <laughs> it will become untrue, but um, jinx is not a thing. I don't believe in them. Yeah, no, yeah. but he, that's huge, but yeah. it's still hard. Like since he is sleeping through the night, like he doesn't really take naps. Like he, he'll take like little cat naps, but he only wants to do them on me. Um, mm. And so that's, that's hard. That's hard to manage while also trying to like get my kids doing what they need to do with school and like everybody's home. My husband works from home and we haven't we don't, you know, we we haven't really left the house. Like we still, you know, COVID combined with postpartum, like we don't do things. You are experiencing like next level. You're just like next level warrior right now. Oh god. <laughs> Cuz like as hard as it is for everybody in the world, props woman you're doing it you're like just the fact that you're on the phone with me right now having a conversation I'm like really impressed (laughs) so that's amazing no seriously take a win you know because it doesn't feel like it but you're you're so strong oh well thank you um yeah well I am very much relying on Zoloft right now um I, I started that in this pregnancy actually like once COVID hit I had like a meltdown and I was like I need drugs like I'm not well so I've been on Zoloft and I have a psychiatrist and then I also have my therapist that I've been seeing virtually. Great. So you feel like that's helping you a lot, like that's helping you cope and manage. Yeah, I mean I'm it's it's not perfect. Like I don't like yeah. I don't like virtual therapy. Like that kind of sucks, but it you know, it is what it is and I'll take what I can get and Definitely the third time around, like when I told you that I don't think I was verbalizing everything in my head, like I tell it like it is right now. Like every dark thought I've had, every hard moment, like I verbalize it to the world. So (laughs) good. And and that's been important for me to be really authentic because it helps me not be so isolated. Right, right. That's good. That's really good. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. I want to know what advice that you would tell anyone that might have, you know, a similar history that you have that's about to go on this journey. How can they set themselves up for a for the best experience maybe that they can? I know that we can't all choose yeah. exactly the experience that we're going to have. That's impossible for anything in life. Yeah. But how can someone who's new on this journey that's like maybe just found out they're pregnant or or who knows maybe it's their second kid and they want to know a better way to advocate for themselves in future Uh like what would you say to them so I think the first thing is everyone has a story everyone has some sort of history you may not be a sexual assault survivor but there's some pain in your life that has happened some difficult journey that you've been on 
and birth and pregnancy are such whole body, intense, overwhelming experiences that no matter how much work you may have done or how, how healed or how good you feel, despite the challenges that have existed in your past, our body stores any trauma. It holds on to it for us. When we don't have words, our body is, is communicating it to us. And since birth and pregnancy are these huge whole body experiences, it's going to be reawakened. Something from your past is going to pop up. And for some folks, it can feel really unexpected. And it can be like, why is this thing here? Why is this thing happening? Why am I feeling this? Why is it an emotion here? And that can be really scary. So, you know, I think first and foremost is recognizing that, that this is a big deal. Like your body is on fire through this whole experience and it's holding everything for you. And so just having awareness of that, like something might wake up that you don't expect. And if it does, it's so important to try to unpack that. And it's so important to process that so that you can figure out what you need to be able to feel safe in that process. Because, Hmm. you know, the physiological process of birth, it requires oxytocin. It requires, that's the love hormone. Yeah. When we're stressed, when we're triggered, when we are experiencing trauma, cortisol is what's happening. That's the stress hormone. And those two don't interact well together. And so if we have all this cortisol entering our pregnancy and entering our birth experience, like it's going to have an impact, whether we believe it or not, Mm. our body's going to do that for us, no matter how much work we do. Right. Yeah. So it's important to loop in the right supports for that. So if you do recognize that something might surface for you, you know, finding a therapist, finding a doula, finding a psychiatrist, whatever it is that you need, or even just a friend or a support group where you can talk about that and talk about it fully and authentically and totally vulnerable so that you can get what you need in order to have the birth that you're hoping for. Mm. I think that would be my first thing is like one, like let's have some awareness, let's loop in support. And then the right support, you know, you have to feel safe with all the people in that space. It's a really Mm -hmm. sacred space and you need people that are going to listen to you, that are going to see you, that are going to understand you and that are going to want to involve you in your care. You have a say, it's your body. You don't just have to follow some guideline or follow what it is that you know about birth. You can explore options and make choices and be a part of your care team when it comes time to make choices. Like you can do that collaboratively. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's true. It's such a profound, empowering piece of knowledge to know that you have more control than you think you you do. The hard part is getting to the action of that, right? And communicating that. How would you say that your relationship with your partner, your husband has changed through this experience? If you want to talk about it, if you don't, that's fine. But I'm just curious if going through sort of the re-unearthing, maybe, so to speak, of traumas, how important do you think it is to like... um, Yeah. How do you include them in that process? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) No, I think that's crucial because they probably, of, of all the people in your birth space, are going to be the most equipped at advocating for you and knowing what your needs are, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have such an intimate connection with them. Right. I think definitely like it, it should be a shared experience. So for me personally, like the conversations that were happening prenatally with, you know, our midwife, our home birth midwife that we ended up with, like, that was a shared conversation with my husband. And he was able to hear what I had to say and make mental notes about what my needs were. And he was also able to share his experience in that, right, of how it's hard to be the partner of a trauma survivor. We've been through that process in our entire relationship, but to then support that person through birth, like knowing that I have this history and I have certain triggers that pop up for me and it's, it's difficult for me, like that's painful for him to have to witness. Yeah. And so he wants to be able to support me wholly. So he was able to communicate like, but he's still a human being. And like, 
he's going to feel pain too in those moments. Right. So yeah, it was good for him to be able to share because then like our doula knew and our midwife knew, like he needs a little bit of love too, in this process, he needs to be held just as much as I need to be held. And and they were able to provide some of that so that he could hold me more fully. Hmm. Yeah. I think it's important to include them in, in the whole process. Like I'm a huge advocate of like, your partner needs to be at every prenatal appointment. Like they need to live this experience with you because that's how they're going to be able to show up for you better. Yeah. 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 I totally agree. Totally agree. So important, but rarely discussed, you know, I mean, at least in my experience. And I think that anyone who's had, I mean, I'm just speaking for me and a few friends that have shared their personal stories with me. But if you have had, trauma in your past. It's not really something you want to talk about. And a lot of times people don't really even talk about it with their partners, you know? And, um, so a lot of times these things that when they do come up, it becomes sort of a more silent internal Mm -hmm. pain. And, um, the, the process was much easier after I was willing to just go, okay, look, (laughs) Uh, this is what's going on. And, and cause birth and parenting, you have to be there together. You know, like you, you, it's so vulnerable and it's really like taking that partnership to the next level. And it's harder to do that if you have to share, you know, traumas, but it's so key, I think. So yeah, thanks for sharing your thoughts on that. I just wanted to get your opinion because I think that's something that's really important. Is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you want to share? I don't think so. I mean, I, I I mean, I think the, the only thing that could be of interest is, you know, I'm not now I'm on a new healing journey now, right? I'm I'm only three months postpartum. My birth didn't go mm-hmm. as planned. Like I said, it was my last birth. Mm-hmm. I don't plan on doing this again. And I have been on a really tough grief journey related to that. Mm-hmm. I I'm just I'm I'm very sad and heartbroken that that's the story that I have to tell this time around, we hired a videographer. And of course, she couldn't come to the hospital. So I have these like, stunning, beautiful images and film at home. But like, that's just the labor part, which I say, which I say just like, that was a huge part of it, of course. But the actual birth and him like, being born, and there's this moment that I learned about in doula training called the return. And it's Hmm. pretty much every birthing person, if you pay attention to them, the exact moment that their baby comes out, they are not instantly looking at their baby first thing. So if you even just do your own like Google search of birth images, you can Hmm. find this moment, you can find this moment of the return where this person is, they're either looking outward at other people to like acknowledge the big thing that they did, or they're like looking up at the sky to like God or the world or spirituality, whatever it is that they believe in. Like you see them looking elsewhere, they have to return to themselves. So they've just done this incredibly intense, powerful thing. And they cannot physically connect with their baby until they're able to come back to self and like celebrate what they just did and get that, that recognition of what they just did. And so I had this idea that I'm going to get my return on film and I'm going to be able to see this moment. Finally, in my last birth, I'm going to get to see this powerful, beautiful moment that I didn't get to see the first two times around. And I'm majorly grieving that. Like, I don't, I don't have that, you know, I know the moment happened, but I don't have the visual to look back on. Right. So I just, there's been a lot of losses this third time around that have happened that I'm not fully healed from. I haven't fully grieved. And I think, I think it's going to take some time for me to get there, but yeah. That's such a a powerful thing, this idea of the return, because it's so true and it's so visceral and every woman that's ever given birth knows exactly what that is you know, and I totally now knowing that I go, Oh, my God, like, that would be incredible to capture that no matter what kind of birth you have, or, you know, there's just always something, right? It's like, there's something to, like you said, unpack, but um, yeah, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't identify this third birth as traumatic. Like, I don't, I felt safe, 
even though, yes, my cervix was still not like cooperating fully, I was surrounded by people that I felt safe with. I was in my home at the hospital. Like I felt like I was being listened to and heard, even though it was not perfect. Right. Mm -hmm. I still felt very seen. Mm -hmm. So I don't identify this birth as traumatic, but it's the grief. It's just the loss of like, I didn't get this experience that I envisioned. And what does that mean? Right. I haven't really unpacked that yet. I don't have the answer. Right. But the fact that you're aware of it will probably help you process it. Yeah, totally. And I don't, and I also still believe, like, I believe that I'm not broken. Like I don't, this birth didn't like retumble into my consciousness that like I'm broken and my body doesn't work. Like, no, I, I was fucking powerful. Mm. I believe that fully. Like I, I do. I just know that there's more healing for me in my future. And it just looks a little bit different this time around. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Alexis, thank you so much. I really appreciate your story. I truly feel honored that you're willing to share this with me, someone that you don't even know. I just know how many people are going to hear this and feel understood, seen, or less alone. And it's really powerful stuff. So thank you. Just thank you. Thank you. Don't forget to check out those show notes to see links on how you can get in touch with Alexis, follow her on social media, and learn more about the work that she's doing. Thanks for joining us today. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe and make sure you follow the show on Spotify if that's how you listen or follow and subscribe on any of the other podcast platforms that you listen to. It really does a lot to boost my own confidence and keep me going as I make this free content for you, but also it helps boost the show in the algorithm so other people can find the show and feel the encouragement and support of the community coming together here as we share with each other our triumphs and tribulations and everything in between. That's it for now. I can't wait to be with you next time. I'm your host, Christy Williams, and you've been listening to Birth. This is a Sync Studios production.